This morning's scripture reading for today comes from chapter 8 of Romans, starting in verse 14 through 17, 26 and 27, and then 31 through 34. Hear the word of the Lord. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you do not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groans too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own Son, but gave him up for us all, how he will not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died, more than that, who is raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. My name is Glenn McDowell. I'm one of the pastors here. David is one of the biggest challenges of my life. And yet he's a humongous joy to me. David is our 26-year-old son, uh, who's usually here with us Sunday mornings, but today he's with his sister at Liberty Center City. Uh, David is autistic and not capable of living independently. At home we call David Al. His middle name is Alistair. Today we ask the question, why pray? My son David teaches me why I should pray. Uh, No, I don't mean that I need to pray for him, though I need to. I mean, David teaches me that I need to pray like a child to his father. David often talks without pretense, uh, without inhibitions, and he asked me confidently to get him a flying motorcycle, a Yu-Gi-Oh! Turbo Dual Runner motorcycle. He asked me to go with him as he time travels into fantasy dimensions. He asked me to join forces with him in making the Phillies have a winning season uh, and to make the Sixers and Flyers win their division and to make the Eagles win a home game. (laughs) David is totally confident in me as his father, too confident, because I can't change people and circumstances. But David teaches me to pray like Jesus prayed to his father, totally confident that the father has all things under his control. But still, why pray? Uh, You've had prayers that were unanswered. Many are skeptical that prayer actually changes things. Uh, You may be cynical. Does prayer really make a difference? Other than maybe giving some people inner peace and solace, Is prayer just like a social nicety that politicians use in this tragedy? 
We remember the families and our thoughts and prayers. I also know that some of you take prayer very seriously. Some of you have asked for elders to pray for one for you or someone you love, and you've not seen the results. And prayer is hard. It's hard to talk with someone that you don't see. So why pray? The challenge for some of you is that you're not sure that there is a personal God to pray to and pretty skeptical of Christians and the church. And you have reason to be. The Christian church has messed up big time in history and in our society today. But the fact that Christians have often messed up does not nullify the story behind their faith, faith that has often been weak and incomplete. Today we're going to look at a passage that shows how Jesus changes us into people who talk with God because of his work for us. Prayer is simply communication, communication with God. Listen to these three things. Communication was broken, communication is restored because of Jesus, and communication blossoms because of Jesus' spirit. I'll start with how communication broke down. Our culture and educational system tells us that this planet and all life on it is a result of randomness. Life came from chance molecules that somehow started reproducing and evolving, and eventually, people. And life ultimately is simply the exercise of power over others. But why then do we try to be a significant, even a compassionate person? You probably care about the hardworking mother with young children who has been evicted after losing her job because of business cutbacks and is now homeless. But why do you care? It's because you were created in the image, that is, with the characteristics of the true God. The one who is compassionate. The one who cares about the purpose and dignity of every human being. Okay, so there is such a good creator God. Then why is the world so messed up? Why is it that there are starving children, violent crimes, and war against innocent civilians? Can I pray to a God who allows these things? Can I pray to a God who allows an innocent man to be falsely accused, taken from his wife and children, and locked up on death row the rest of his life? How did the world get so messed up? God gives us the explanation and the solution to this dilemma. The explanation is that God gave our original parents a choice over good and evil. And they chose to exercise that freedom in such a way that brought them and all succeeding generations into bondage. Prior to that fatal choice, man and woman had free and open conversations with God. There was no barrier between us and God at that point. Including man assigning significant names to all the animals. And then telling God what names he had chosen. Prayer, conversation with God, was unhindered and a joy before the fall. But after that damning choice of our first parents, selfishness, injustice, and pride lodged in people's hearts. And communication with God became distant. It became difficult because we alienated ourselves from God. Yet at the same time, we all retained important God-like characteristics, such as a sense of justice, 
an appreciation of beauty, and a desire to return to the garden where all of life made sense and prosperity and equality among peoples reigned. What was needed was a hero, a hero who could bring redemption to a corrupted world. And so the story that unfolds down through history since the fall is a story of heroes who brought redemption. But it was always limited by their own human frailty. People like Abraham, Moses, King David. The problem was so deep. Broken communication, broken relationship between mankind and creator God. That only a perfect hero who would make the ultimate sacrifice would suffice to restore all things. So in review, communication with God broke down, but now we're going to see how that communication was restored. Because in time, God did send that ultimate hero, Jesus, a descendant of King David, who made the ultimate sacrifice on the cross. Let's read the verses that were read earlier from Romans. Uh, We're going to read the, the section, the last section that tells us about Jesus' role in our prayers. Romans 8, beginning at verse 31. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died more than that, who was raised and who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. That last phrase is key to our thought today. Jesus is interceding for us. He's at the right hand of the Father. Here's what Paul says in these verses. First of all, God has been for us all along. Jesus died the death we deserved because of our rebellion. He died as a substitute for us. Jesus was raised from death to new life, and we also are raised to new life through him. And we are made right in God's eyes, not because we are changed, but by the Father's declaration that we are good in his sight. And we become his sons and his daughters. And it concludes by saying, Jesus now intercedes for us. That means that he speaks for us. He speaks on behalf of us. Communication has opened up again between people and God. The curse of the fall has been reversed. Now we not only talk with the Father, but Jesus is there for us, actually pleading on our behalf. So we know that the Father hears us. Jesus is our lawyer. He's our advocate. He's our brother. Prayer is restored. The gospel changes us, both skeptics and believers, into people who talk with God. And so communication broke down, but now communication has been restored by Jesus' life, death, and resurrection for us. And he now prays for us as our advocate. This is good news. Jesus changes us, whether we're skeptics, whether we already know him, but we're not sure why to pray. He changes us into people who talk with God. And now we're going to look at how communication blossoms. We're going to read about the Holy Spirit's role in prayer. So we go to the earlier verses that were read, Romans 8, beginning at verse 14, 14 through 17, and then 26 through 27. We read, 
For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. And then picking up at verse 26, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray as we ought. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for God's children according to the will of God. Here's what these verses teach. The Spirit of God causes us to cry out, Abba, Father. Abba, which is uh, in the language of Aramaic, it's the language that Jesus spoke. It's a word that would most closely be translated, Daddy. It was the word that young children would use to address their fathers. It shows the close, intimate relationship between a father and his child. It also shows the childlike trust that a young child puts in his daddy. This is the term Jesus used when he prayed to his heavenly father. Through Jesus, we have an intimate relationship with the Abba, with the daddy, with our father, who feels affection for us. This passage also teaches an amazing fact. It is the Holy Spirit himself who speaks on our behalf. We already saw that Jesus intercedes for us. Now, it is the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Jesus, as he's also called, who speaks for us. The text says that we actually don't know what to pray for. Our knowledge of the future is zero. And our perspective is very limited. So it makes sense that we do not actually know what the best outcomes should be. Often we, don't, we just don't have the wisdom to know what to pray for, especially when it comes to our earthly needs. The Apostle Paul says in this passage, the Spirit speaks with groanings that we do not understand. This is actually good, because the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, does know our real needs, and he knows God's good plans, and he knows the end of those plans, and he knows the means to get to that end. So the Spirit prays in ways that we do not even understand for what is good for us and what's good for God's kingdom. But what about when we don't get what we've asked for? What if we get the opposite of what we've asked for, what we've prayed for? The 16th century German reformer Martin Luther struggled with this question. Here's what he concludes. Even if we pray for good things, we do not know what we pray for because it might turn out for our harm if it were given to us right away or in the way that we ask. This is especially true when we pray for earthly blessings. Also, what about when our prayers are not answered at all? Surprisingly, Luther uh, says this. He says, when our prayers are not answered, it's not a bad thing, but instead it's the very best if upon our petitions the very opposite happens to us. Why? 
because God's wisdom and plans tower high above our wisdom and our will. God knows so much better what is really good for us. Isaiah 55, 8 says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. God's wise, good plans far exceed even what we can imagine. And there's another reason why God may answer differently than what we request. Not only does he know the future and is wiser than us, but he wants to destroy our independent and willful ways. In other words, God purposely frustrates our requests so that we come to the end of ourselves and our self-confidence. So that we die to our self-will, realizing that we are clueless. We're clueless on our own. And he then brings us to become fully dependent on him over and over again. And as we understand this, we don't despair. We don't despair because we're the children of the Father, because the Spirit prays for us in our prayers, even prayers that we don't understand, and because Jesus is speaking for us. So even if we get the opposite of what we prayed for, we don't despair because we know that ultimately God has a good plan. Isaiah also says, O Lord, you are our Father, We are the clay. You are our potter. We are simply the work of your hand. Okay. We know that Jesus intercedes for us. We know that the Holy Spirit prays for us. But still, why should I pray? We pray because we're desperate. We pray because we're desperate and we cry out to the Father in total dependency on him, leaving the outcome in his hands. Jesus himself said, I can do nothing on my own. I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Jesus, who is fully God, was dependent on the Father and shows us how to live in dependency on the Father. I was talking the other day with a Jewish friend who I see regularly. Uh, He's a leader in his synagogue. He told me, I started praying when my son was messed up with drugs and I feared for his life. I realized that I am powerless to do anything to change him. I got down on my knees and prayed to God to change him. Now I still pray on my knees every morning because I am powerless, but God is powerful, he told me. We start praying in earnest when we realize that we are powerless to change to change anything, to change ourselves, to change others, to change our circumstances. And we realize, what, when we realize what God has done for us in Jesus, we have every reason to not only come to God to pray out of desperation, but to pray continuously. I don't mean a formal prayer out loud to God continuously. What I mean is in our minds and in our inner beings, having an awareness that Jesus is for me, an awareness that the Spirit is in me and that I can be communicating with him in my mind and my spirit and sometimes out loud when I'm still and quiet and when I'm in the midst of stress and busyness and when I'm in a crisis. 
Jesus changes us into people who talk with God. But what if I feel far from God? What if I know I have been unfaithful to him? Will God answer? Now listen, this is important. Jesus' death and resurrection for us is the only basis that we have a voice with the Father. It's not the fact that I've been good today. God does not listen to us because we have been prayerful and faithful. God listens to us and answers us because we come in the name of Jesus. That means we stake our prayers on who he is as Savior and Lord of all. God does not shut us out if we've had a bad attitude and have not come to worship him in months or years or ever. God does not listen to us less or not answer your prayers because you're giving your housemate the cold shoulder after you've had to clean up the mess she left in the kitchen for the umpteenth time. God is listening to our prayers, and it has nothing to do with us being faithful or unfaithful. There's only one reason God hears our prayers. It's the finished work of Jesus. Living, dying, resurrecting on our behalf. Jesus changes us into people who talk with God. We come to him just as we are. As is attributed to the singer-songwriter Rich Mullins, in Jesus we have nothing to hide, nothing to lose, and nothing to prove. Finally, we pray like a child, like my son David talks to me, open, expecting, expectant, asking for big things, impossible things. Why not? Our God is the God of big things who one day will fully bring his kingdom in and restore all things in the new earth. His coming kingdom is the goal of our prayers. We can pray all the way from my needs that I find a parking spot when I'm trying to park in Center City all the way to God's heart for the restoration of all things as they will be in the new earth. We can pray for a spiritual awakening in our city. We can pray for the renewal of the church, grace through the entire fabric of our city and our region, for economic prosperity which helps the marginalized and the disabled, for healing and wholeness for prisoners and ex-offenders and their families. We can pray for the whole nation, the world, for economies, for politics, and against human sex trafficking and slavery. The gospel changes us whether we've believed in God or not, but he changes us through what Jesus has done into people who now talk with God. Here's one concrete example of something that we can pray for. This summer, after Mohamed Morsi was removed as president of Egypt by the Egyptian army, horrible attacks took place against Christians and the Coptic and Protestant and Catholic church buildings in Egypt. Over 80 church buildings were destroyed or burned by extremists, including, and in addition, the private homes of many Christians. As moderator of our local body of churches, the Philadelphia Presbytery of the PCA, I sent a letter of condolence to the priests of the Philadelphia area Coptic Orthodox Church expressing our sadness over the persecution of our brothers and sisters in Egypt. And I delegated one of our pastors who had lived in the Muslim world for many years to visit the local church and personally express our concern. 
Here's the report that I received back from Dennis Blankenbeckler. I went to the Divine Liturgy at St. George's Coptic Orthodox Church at 5.30 a.m. Wednesday morning. After the service, Father Yosef invited me to his home for Egyptian breakfast. With him was a visiting priest from Egypt. I let them know that the Philadelphia Presbytery was standing behind the Egyptian Christians in the persecution they are enduring. Father Yosef was very encouraged to hear that. They told me that after the burning of the church buildings, there is a new song that extremists are singing in the streets. It goes something like this. We destroyed the churches, now we'll kill the priests and rid Egypt of Christianity once and for all. When the churches were destroyed in August, Father Yosef told me, he said something wonderful happened to the Christians. There was a sense of peace and comfort that came upon them. This, he told me, was God's calling for Egyptian Christians to suffer for Christ and embrace it. Church buildings can be rebuilt. I asked for prayer requests, Dennis says. Father Yosef said that their biggest concern at the moment is that the extremists are kidnapping Christian children and demanding a ransom. Once they received the money, they killed the child anyway. He asked us to pray that God would not remove the persecution, but would increase their faith to endure for the honor of Christ and to increase their love for their enemies. This is humbling and amazing. Let me summarize. Communication with God was broken. Jesus restored communication by dying for us and now speaks on our behalf. The Holy Spirit causes prayer to blossom, praying for our deepest and real needs. And sometimes he has good ultimate reasons for not answering prayers the way we wanted them. We pray because we are desperately in need of God's grace and God's direction. And we are confident that he hears us, regardless of our spiritual state, because we pray through Jesus. So we pray, we pray for big changes. Why pray? You can pray because Jesus changes everything. Why pray? The gospel changes our hearts to come into line with the same passions that the Father has. So we talk with the Father and with others about our passions. Jesus changes everything. If you have not yet come to faith in Jesus or you're not even sure what that means, then just talk with God. Expect something big. Expect a miracle. You have nothing to lose in your whole life to gain. For you who believe in Jesus, pray big prayers. Sure, you may have been disappointed in the results in the past, but God's good plan and perspective is much bigger than yours. Jesus told us to pray for his kingdom to come. That means pray for huge changes in your life, in the life of liberty, for this city, for this nation, for Egypt, India, China, South Sudan, Sudan, for your coworker who annoys you to no end. Why pray? Jesus changes everything, including the way you talk to God. Let's pray. Lord, we don't know how to pray. Thank you, Jesus, that you are pleading our case. Thank you, Spirit, 
that you pray for us now. Change us into people who talk with you. Change us into people who talk freely and boldly. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.